Hi, I am Jen Matthews, and I'm an adoptee. You're listening to Conversations About Adoption, a podcast where I interview and converse with other adoptees and first parents about their stories and other issues around adoption. My goal is to spread the perspectives of other adoptees and first parents so we can challenge the common narratives and misconceptions of adoption and hopefully shed light on the social justice issues pertaining to adoption, as well as the issues adoptees and first parents face on a regular basis. Okay, and um, I am talking to CJ, and he is a Black uh, birth father who I found on TikTok, who speaks out about his um, situation where his child was given up for adoption against his consent, and Lord knows how many times that happens. I know my own birth dad said he didn't know about me. And I'm sure that's happened more times than can shake a stick at, you know. And um, but his voice is extremely important because so few birth dads are out there speaking out. And the fact that he is a black birth father. So there is the issue of race, which adds um, complications to the situation, I'm sure. So was the mother of your child was um, white? Yes, she was white, Southern, Catholic, debutante, all of those things which factored into just how white she could possibly be. And how old were you guys when you got together? I was uh, I was in my early 30s and she was mid-20s. Okay. Yeah, she, um, so we were, we'd been together for about a little under a year before she got pregnant and we had uh, met each other maybe like a year earlier or so uh, through a theatrical production and kind of just knew of each other. And then at like a party, like got the talking and started dating from there. Okay. And in your little bio, you sent me, she said she didn't have a problem like telling her family she was dating you. Yeah. Well, cause I knew it was, um, Dating a, a, a white person probably anywhere, uh, the conversation of of what is how how is your family going to be receptive of our relationship, I think, is something that happens, but I think it, or that should happen. And I think dating a white person in the South is we were in South Carolina is definitely uh something for me. I'm like or and if she kinda had brought it up first, she said, I remember early on we were uh Early on, they didn't even have like a title for a relationship or anything. And she had uh, said that she has uh, family members, particularly cousins, that would probably be really upset with us, with seeing us together out mm-hmm. somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, well, what are you? And she was like, I don't care. Basically, she's like, whatever, fuck them. They don't, it's not gonna, yeah, I'm with you. This is that. So it was that whole thing of like, all right, cool. But I think it's that um, she had never been faced with anything before. Yeah, I think it might be a thing for, and it probably for any of us who, wherever your privilege is, if you have one, of it's easy to be an ally when you just have to say it. Yes, action is different. Right, like yeah, you just want to just want to put on the Black Lives Matter T-shirt. As long as you find one that fits, then you're fine. Mm -hmm. But you have to actually behave in a way that says black lives matter just as much as anyone else's, then I think that uh, that's when many people fall apart. Yeah. Yeah. They, they push a lot with social work, the, um, the idea of anti-racism, you know, Mm -hmm. they're like, it's not so much just being aware and acknowledging, but now we have to work against systemic racism and institutional racism and all of all the isms that are out there and uh, as social workers you know and treat people with equity not equality you know Mm -hmm. and um which is really nice it's something that they just changed that language last year in the um social work competencies to make it anti-racist instead of i don't even know what the other word was oh an anti-oppressive is another Mm -hmm. terminology in there as well so I'm still trying to grasp these concepts myself because I did grow up like I have a Mexican mom, but I grew up very privileged and white suburb and, you know, 
I hate to admit it, but I'm I'm still trying to fully grasp what it means to be anti-racist to make sure I do things in a correct way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why I asked you, like, what your preferences were, you know? Yeah, well, I think part of the thing is that if you, regardless of the body you exist in, if you were born and raised, and I mean, not born and raised, but if you live and spend any significant amount of time of your life especially your your fundamental foundational years in the United States. Yeah. Your whole view of race is based on so many lies upon top of lies, oh, based yeah. on what we were taught in our schools, based on what we are taught through media and television and film and books and whose stories were that we heard and whose stories we weren't allowed to hear. Mm-hmm. So we're just completely this warped sense of humanity yeah i mean we, the united the u.s is a country where we have uh slave owners on our currency yeah so what statement does that make our nation's capital is named after a human trafficker so what and all of this connects into like my story because i used to be blown away with like the whole time when when um my ex got pregnant and she was so she couldn't get she abortion when she got pregnant it was like all right my uh, my immediately went into well what do you want to do i am fully supportive of whatever your choice is whatever you want to do and she said well i'm catholic so abortion is out of the question so i was like okay i'm gonna be a dad so this is so my shift of what i want to do career-wise shifted and whatever because i was planning on going to grad school all right this all right I'm gonna let's be do this. Things, yeah. Got things, yeah. Let's 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 do this. And then shortly after that, it was she wanted to give the baby up for adoption. Um, and the reasoning why all of this makes sense, listeners. I will all make this wrap up from the beginning <laughs> of our anti-racism oppression talk. So it was she wanted to give the baby up for adoption because, in her words, if so her parents knew, she told her mother and her father, and I, I think her two brothers knew that she was pregnant. But if her grandparents knew she was pregnant she by a black man, she would risk being disowned and lose out on her inheritance. Mm. Money was super poor because she was like, we'll be poor and don't have any money. And my thinking was like, like as far as the financial stuff like i think neither one of us was destitute like at all yeah and also even if we're like i think poor people have families like all all the time like <laughs> like i think i think not that it's a great thing but i think there are a lot of poor people but i think come her coming from this place of privilege right her thought of like if she doesn't have her grand whatever the inheritance is then what is she going to then like, God forbid, she just have to use her degree and get a job like everybody else. She was right? counting I, on that. I, like, I don't know. I don't know what she was thinking in terms of the details, but it came down to her being pregnant with a black child was going to cause her to lose out on her family, which I honestly think that part was more for her than the money. Mm. Is that being disconnected from disowned by many members of her family um and so her thing was by using adoption she can hide the pregnancy have the baby adopted away and then no one will will ever know Mm. none of that includes me and my what i wanted and my whole thing was like just give me my child and you don't have to have anything to do with it i don't i'm not gonna go flaunt around town that this is your child, but she was correct in the assumption that if I have the baby, everyone's gonna know. And you know what I mean? Like if it's not the largest, it wasn't Mayberry. For you had to move around, move away. Yeah, it it, but it wasn't like LA, it wasn't. So if people knew we were dating and then they see her, even if they don't see her and then see me one day with this child, they'll put the pieces together. Yeah, so I get she, that. So she was correct in her assumption that in order to keep this whole thing hidden, this child was going to have to go away. And 
my whole thinking was that is the most absurdly racist story that I could ever think of. There's no way this is going to happen. And self-centered. There's no way. Yes, very much so. And like, there's no way that this is going to happen. Like the whole time I was just in like this shock and awe and numb of like, this is not, this isn't happening at the, at the last moment, something will come through. Yeah. And it was like, she will recognize just how awful she is being and say, no, I can't do this. Somebody will come through and recognize this, but that never happened. And um, the part, it's part about the adoption that I didn't know then, because I was like in the fog in so many different ways, <laughs> is that for her to openly, because she was very open about why this child needed to be adopted away. Mm-hmm. And the, the the issue for people who think like adoption is so great and it's this wonderful thing is that there was an agency that was willing to help her do this. Of course. So she, she didn't lie to anybody about what was going on and she, whatever. Uh, she was very open and honest with them about it. And they were like, okay, we will help you. So I would look at it as the same system of like, listen, for all the people who say the police will help you for and do all these great things, okay. But there's also this thing where somebody can say, I feel uncomfortable by this black person who's drinking coffee. I'm gonna call the cops and have them removed. And if there's a, a system where you can call to do that and people are willing to do that, there's something about that whole system that's corrupt. Uh-huh. It, it is the job of the system to support whoever, regardless of morality, there's a problem within the system. So, and I didn't recognize that with adoption at that time. Uh, but then as years go on and like in the last three years in particular, and listening to so many adoptees and birth parent stories, um, just realizing just how corrupt the adoption system is in the United States. And people view it as this beautiful thing, partially because when you, when you see George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and so many others, and you're told that they were presidents, lawmakers, people who helped blaze trails and did all these things. And and then, and then down the road, you find out that there were slave owners and this and that. Well, those get, get added on to your foundation of what this place is and what this country is. Yeah. So when you normalize human trafficking, something like adoption comes through and you're like, of course, it's a good thing. Surely it's not perfect, but it's, overall a good thing because your whole foundation of what's right and wrong is is jacked up mm-hmm. the whole, we, have, we have mount rushmore we have four people on mount rushmore who all committed mass genocide against native americans indigenous people which is why they're on mount rushmore and yeah how right. many, and how many people have taken their children to over the years to like hey look at this wonderful thing so if you're looking at genocide, sculptures that praise genocide as wonderful, yeah, my black ass on TikTok talking about sharing my story is going to make you really uncomfortable because it goes against your foundation. Like when I think of here about people from other countries who they seem to be far more open to hearing our experiences than people in the U.S. And I don't think that's a coincidence. No, it's not. This country is so fundamentally screwed up yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. i mean you know it's like whenever i see people that are like you know talking to immigrants and they're like go home and i'm like really (laughs) really you know it reminds me like my um my partner bought this t-shirt that i just loved at this one um native american powwow that we went to and it had a picture of these native americans on it and it said fighting uh terrorism since 1492 or something right. like that love and it. i was like that's awesome it was mm-hmm. the be- it was one of the best shirts ever love it you know and even in that regard i think my hate for columbus 
didn't start until I was probably in my my early 20s. And it was all on my own. It was all on me saying, look at the situation and being like, you know what? I don't like this dude. Yeah, right. For all of my childhood, I was told that Columbus was a hero. Oh, yeah. We got brainwashed in school. When I realized, when we realized the truth, great. But we have to unlearn all that that reflex of when you hear it and you're like, oh, good person, good hero. Mm-hmm. You gotta re really do the put the work in to do that. And for so people, so many people, they don't want to do that. No. He was a rotten son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's what that's that and that same thing. And to bring it all back around, uh, also the cultural genocide that Columbus started that's directly leads up to my story and the story of so many others who have our family heritage and lines broken by the system of adoption. Yeah. Desiree's story is a little similar. You know, I don't know if Mm -hmm. you listen to her on the podcast, but you know, she had a white mother and a black father and Mm -hmm. same thing. Like, you know, that's so unfair. So fucked up, man. Yeah. And it's, and it's for the people who don't know, um, the, the, the laws of custody can probably vary state to state in South Carolina at the time when I was there, if the mother of the child is not married to the father of the child, remember I should phrase it. If the father of the child is not married to the mother of the child, when she gives birth, he does not have immediate custody or claim over that child. Mm. So if she decides to give this child up for adoption, then I have to go when I had to go try to get claim custody of my child. And then it just goes into the system of, well, I don't get first dibs. I get considered the same way the adoptive parents got considered or whoever else. What? Whoever else wants wants to be considered. Oh, my Um, gosh. And it probably comes down to like money of the situation. Well, probably it always comes down to money. Yeah. If this child is not up for adoption, then giving me custody of the child means that I am financially responsible, so it would behoove whoever to give me custody of the child. But there are systems that can make it a lot of money off of a child being adopted. Oh, yeah. So the thing that is financially, the thing, thing that's best financially is to have this child adopted, which, again, the, what the system is set up to incentivize the whole adoption thing. Like, I don't understand how people can't recognize the major flaw in if you gave police money every time they made an arrest, they would be incentivized to make more arrests and even like make shit up just to arrest people. Yes. And maybe, maybe, and maybe coerce situations so they could make arrests and yep. maybe turn blind eyes to things so they can make arrests. So when you have adoption, which incentivizes these agencies, it's like it's twenty anywhere between twenty and twenty-seven billion dollars a year. I know, I know. Billion with a B. Yeah. For when you have that, people are incentivized. It, It would behoove you not to keep families together. You don't want families to stay together. Your whole industry is driven off of separating families. And you just spin it by saying you're creating new ones, which is like, you don't have to be part of a, you don't have to erase one family to be part of another family. If you people get married, people do it all the time. Whether you, whether you like it or not, you now have another family that is now with you. Exactly. And that's another thing part that adoption does is that, in the best case scenarios, if the best thing is for this child to be adopted by these other people, they should still have full access to the biological family. They should still have full communication, not just to the parents, but to cousins, uncles, siblings of their biological family. And the fact that adoption is set up in a way to give the adopted parents the option of allowing that child access or not, there should be no question. There I, should be no question. And like, so even in the best case scenario, like adoption is traumatic. And that's the other part that people don't understand the trauma behind it, that even if it is the best for everybody, 
the reason why it was necessary is because a child needed to be separated from their parents. There may be some situations where that may be the case. And that is so traumatic. So acknowledge how terrible that is. And it's hard to call it a beautiful thing for these people who happen to be infertile or whatever situation they need be. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I just said, I just said a whole lot. My bad, but it was. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's totally fine. All right. So were you and uh, your ex still together throughout the pregnancy or? No, she was. Uh, and I, like her, her assumptions were correct. There was like ha by the end of her first trimester, uh, she had broken up with me. Uh, and I think it was, and then pretty much we hadn't, didn't speak after that. And I think her thinking was, there's no way that she's going to be able to stay with me and not be convinced to keep this baby or to allow me to keep my child. And, oh, okay. And I think that was correct. There's no, I, I can be, no one is listening to me for nine months straight without changing their mind. <laughs> I strongly feel like that. I think I can sell salt to a snail. Like there's no one who's going to be able to hear that. So, and I think her own guilt and everything else was, had to factor in and it was the easiest way to do it. Probably just tear the bandaid off and try to distance herself. But yeah, so by the end of the first trimester, she had, uh, we had broken up. That you weren't in contact with each other at all, or no, the, the I was only I got updates. There was sitting here, and here's a layer of the story that I didn't know at the time. There was uh, someone who I who had told me they were a lawyer with the adoption agency that turned out to be someone who just worked for the agency, and they were not a lawyer at all. Mm. Uh, who was kind of, I guess, the liaison. So whenever she had appointments, because uh, I wanted to, you know, I wasn't there to go with her to the to her appointments, but I wanted to know how our child was doing. So the lawyer person would call me to give me updates on how the baby was, as well as how the adoption process was coming along. Um, and like when my when the when my child was born, that's when the person called and said, "Hey, the baby was born tonight. You can come tomorrow to meet her, and then the adopted parents will be here the next day." So, but yeah, so I didn't talk to my ex for about a year, I guess. After that, yeah, it's nice when they let you come see her. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you yeah, were given permission. And you know the part that was so that was so like white people being polite was on top of letting me come see my child at the hospital was that the adoptive parents who are from Canada and they flew in uh, and which I think this makes this international trafficking at which they're going from US to Canada but they the adoptive mom had mentioned something about they thought it, it was only right that I get to see her before they get to see her, which is like, yes, you are correct. It is right, but you also shouldn't even be in this picture at all. Right. It's that thing of like how polite they are, how gracious they're being. Once uh, the agency was involved though, that explains why you weren't even really considered because the agency wants their money, you know? Right, right. They don't need me. Uh, I'm just in the way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's, uh, it is, and I taught, I had since, uh, during the pandemic, I had a, I set up a Zoom or I had a Zoom call. I called the agency because I was, I wanted, I had some things I'd wanted to say, basically all the things of like, you align, you all aligned yourself with racism mm -hmm. intentionally, knowingly. Mm -hmm. um, and I like researched the agency went through there. It was like you have no black people who work for your agency. Everybody who works here there is white. 
what are you all and I know I've seen from your from from your pictures and things that you do that you clearly have had black children adopted so what do you do in terms of your cultural training and your anti-racist work and the head of the agency like the dude who started it all was was willing to talk to me via zoom uh and he was so mean <laughs> just so mean and nasty and remarkably disgusting and it, it was almost like if you were going to write a villain you wouldn't have been you wouldn't have been able to write one more it was almost unbelievable and it was so no account zero accountability like they don't need any any research they don't need to do anything they can do the job just fine i talked about how my rights were denied and how they did nothing to support me and how i felt used in this all and he was kind of like how at one point he was like how dare you how dare you say that we are racist how dare oh is that word no don't give me that don't give me that that we were doing anything wrong we were behaving racist in any way and it was just really 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 it was really nasty but it was it was honestly what i had expected um yeah but it was just telling of like this is what the head of this agency is because i told him i was like you work with this process of adoption that you call a beautiful that you call beautiful and you all sell this way and this is how you're behaving like this is how you act this is how you behave and you're at the top of it but it's not about the beauty and it's not about the joy it's about making money that's what it's about first and foremost it a hundred percent is and like i wonder what that person's like degree is in if they have a degree is it business or is it social work mm. because with social work there is a code of ethics you know and if you know if they violate the code of ethics if you have somebody there who is a social worker that clearly and you can prove you mm -hmm. can report them you know and i think it, it happens people get their license suspended you know things like that they have to pay fines sometimes they end up in jail mm -hmm. you know so yeah but those ceos they probably are not social workers they're just i have a a dream <laughs> that <laughs> and i feel like it'll happen but I, when i have time and the resources to really like and i'm sure there's people already out there doing this work but to put a team together to really ask questions to and just target a particular agency and just really hold them accountable with their practices and asking for what are they doing for this because i know like with in terms of one of the coercion is like they're not giving birth parents proper statistics and awareness of situations um and like not providing uh therapy and resources for afterwards again it's the whole thing if the whole thing is about what is best for everybody involved why are you not making sure that after the adoption has happened, that these birth parents are okay, that they are that their mental health is is still stable and being uh, checked upon. So I have a whole thing because I think as soon as you hold, if there's a a really focused, I want to call it an attack because that's what I want it to be, a focused attack where you hold an agency accountable uh, for their practices. Are in the public eye, I really think very quickly it would fall apart and people would really see just how problematic all of these things are. But I don't think that, I just think that I would need the time. And again, I'm saying like I'm the, like I did, I think I would want to be the Harriet Tubman of this whole thing, but I want to just really, really, I want to see the whole industry fall apart and crumble. I don't want, I don't want reform. Right. I don't, I don't. I'm maybe I'm an extremist, but no, I it it's it's such a mess. I don't know if it can be fixed. And yeah. there's I don't know if you saw the video I put up yesterday 
Um, but I just interviewed this woman yesterday. Her name is Lisa Elaine Scott. Mm-hmm. And I'm putting up her episode next week. Um, she's making a film, directing a film called All You Have Is Love, working with Saving Our Sisters. They're sponsoring. Um, you can make tax deductible donations. And she's making a film about exposing the adoption industry. Okay. And it's she's expecting it to be like a $250,000 project. So yeah, she's going to be traveling around the country and interviewing uh, a lot of first parents. And but I'm sure she doesn't have any dads. You might want to reach out to her. Oh, yeah, I would love to. And that's the other part where, <laughs> on the community of um, when the community of of birth parents, I know I don't. I just don't know of any others on TikTok of of first parents who are fathers. But if so, it's just like it's. I think part of my the reason why I got get so much attention is because it's just me. So I'm like this unicorn, and it's it's disheartening because I, I think it's it's two part. It's one as men, I feel we are taught that we don't have to care as much. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. Not about who just we don't have to care as much. Period. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to care as much about it about our children, right? Um, and and I'm certain that there are people who have told I've I've had uh, a a guy who used to be like my best friend mentioned in like a sideways comment early when my ex was still pregnant about like well I could. He didn't use the phrase dodge a bullet, but he was like, you know, you can, a lot of responsibility you don't have to worry about. Yeah. I remember it just being like, oh my God, like you don't know me at all. Mm -hmm. You don't, you can't tell how badly I want to keep my child. And it's, but I think it's that a lot of men were taught, and again, we're not born this way, Mm -hmm. but from early on, we're taught that we don't have to be responsible for our actions and we don't have to care as much. And I think that's an, the adoption industry probably exploits that a little bit too. Yeah. Like, and we don't have to worry about as much along with making sure in some situations like making sure that the father is not contacted. I've heard stories of people saying like, the adoption agency told the mother, we just have X amount of time to get this through. And then we, you know, we don't have to contact the, the, the father at all. But there's so few birth parents or birth fathers that I hear sharing their stories. And I wish there were, were more. Sure. Um, I'm just, I just don't know what it would take to get those voices out there. Because that would be a great part of the movement to get happening. I met one at uh, the summit. Actually, I met a couple. I can't remember the other one's name, but the one guy, he only has one name. He goes by Ridge House. Have you heard of him? Mm-mm. He's on Twitter or TikTok or Instagram for sure. Maybe Twitter. He goes by Ridge House. He's he was a became a birth dad at 17. And um, he's pretty involved in the community. Um, I know there's a few more out there, but I, I, I'm not, I can't think of any names right now other than his, because it stuck out, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, it's definitely, you know, you're definitely the minority in multiple ways in this case, mm-hmm. you know, cause, and there's also that stereotype of like the absentee father, you right. know, and that's even more pervasive in black culture. You know, you hear that all the time. I didn't have a dad around. And, and so like people probably, you know, I can see people throwing that at you. Like, why do you care? You know, like, I think, I think that's part of one of the things that I, that got highlighted or that was highlighted to me with, uh, when my child was being taken from me is that I was turned into a statistic. Mm Mm-hmm. As regardless of how you want to look at it, um, by zero fault of my own, I am a black man who is not in his child's life. Yeah, 
And what it showed me of, as soon as you start looking at, people are not just statistics, we are stories. Of course. You start looking into the stories behind the statistics, you start realizing how messed up this, the everything is like, how many other black fathers are not in their child's lives, not because they're deadbeats, but because of situations where they were targeted. Now they're incarcerated because they were targeted for some reason, other than no, other, no other reason other than their race, because of whatever else is the social injustice that happened that separate black men from their families. Yeah. So the people look at the statistics of black fathers who aren't in the picture. And that is in no case a statement on the love we have for our children. Sure. I think people can't see that when you're just taught this is what that matters. And again, that goes back to the first thing we talked about. Our foundation in this country is so messed up of how we see people. Yeah. How men are supposed to behave and how black men are supposed to behave. And all this just starts getting compounded. And it honestly just sets up this... It's like the fertile ground for something like the adoption system to come through and just capitalize off of how messed up situations are. Yeah, absolutely. I was like, I was just thinking about, you know, generational trauma and and historical trauma and all that. I I did a um, project last year for my research class on, uh, (laughs) of all things, I don't know why I picked it. Um, indigenous suicide it was incredibly depressing (laughs) okay and you know it's it's they have extremely high rates of mental health issues substance abuse and suicide um but a big part of that stems from um of course you know the genocide (laughs) you know and the schools, the boarding schools where children were taken away from their parents and they tried to teach them to be white. And if they spoke their native language, they would get beaten and they were abused in like all manner of ways. And then they grow up. They had no positive role model for parenting. And a lot of it would get perpetuated. Mm hmm. You know, and it's terrible. It's just terrible. And to think those schools like, didn't close down until the 90s. It's like, oh, my God. I tell people all the time. Yeah. And it's it's right there in front of us. We don't see it. And it's like that hidden history that was just right there in plain sight. Are you do you watch some Marvel movies? Are you familiar with any of those? Yes, I am. And I know you like them. OK. And so you may have heard it say this before. It's that what you just that whole thing just thinks about. I uh, like Loki. And his story of he was born a frost giant and then Odin just took him from his people and he was raised to be Asgardian and was completely disconnected from his frost giant culture, completely separated from the culture who he is and not only separated from it, but taught to hate them. Yep. Yep. Told that they are, they are the enemy. Mm-hmm. And then when he realizes that's who he is, I don't see how it's very difficult to call him a villain after that. Right. I don't like it's does. Does he make a lot of problematic choices? Yes, he does. <laughs> yeah. But, but look who raised him. Right. Look who raised him. This is Odin is classic adoptive parent. <laughs> so do what he want, hurt who he want because it's for the better good, for the greater good. Yeah. Because we have to do this. You know what? This child, we will make this child better by making him grow up with us. Mm-hmm. Well, like, and he says that that it's, and then he like raises him. Sorry, I'm I'm going off now. It's okay. He raises Odin raises Loki to be a prince of Asgard. Indoctrination, right? And then when Loki like says that his birthright is the throne. Odin's response is, your birthright was to die. Oh, man, yeah. I forgot about that. You should be grateful that I even brought you in here. You're asking for for the same equality as your brother Thor? He is my biological child. Mm -hmm. You want to be treated the same? Your birthright was to die. 
Yeah. Right there in front of us. This is adoptive parent behavior. Yeah. It's right. You should be grateful. So I say like these boarding schools from that, like it can't they all these indigenous people who were separated from their cultures, and there are so many people who were like, they should be grateful. Right. They should be grateful that they were taught English. <laughs> they would be grateful if they were taught how to like wear their hair at a proper length. Not they be savages. Be right, right, right. Yes, don't be a savage. They were frost giants. They were Meanwhile. doing peaceful things. Meanwhile, yeah. indigenous people and, you know, like, I don't believe they did adoption. You know, if somebody needed care, they just took care of them within the tribe. That's the, what I try to all the time. Like, adoption has not lasted as long as, as, as human history has. So, if adoption is something that is relatively new, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure traumatic parent loss and whatever reason substance abuse issues whatever it may be that made it, it un, un, um, made a person unable to take care of their child for a period of time mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure those things always existed so what happened what happened why do we need adoption we don't capitalism need it. it's so <laughs> right there it's yeah. like it's interesting, you know, I, I found this really cool article when I was digging about the history of adoption. And the first time there was anything written about it, it was like Babylonian. However, they were adopting an adult. So like if you grow up and you didn't have a, an heir, you could bring this adult from this other family into your family to be your heir. But they didn't lose connection with their other family. And they would just inherit like your land and your property. However, if you had a child, they could go back to their family. And it was not. And then it wasn't until Roman times where they said, this is something that needs to be handled in a court of law. And it was still adults. It was still for the purpose of having an heir, but it was also for political um, allies, you know, yeah. to build, you know, that whole thing. And then it like totally didn't exist. And in the UK, because bloodlines were such a thing, you know, you could only be king if you were of the royal bloodline. You know, a little too much inbreeding there. Um, adoption didn't happen. You know, if there were kids in need, they would go to a monastery or they would be taught a trade by the blacksmith or the leather worker or, you know, they would be taken in and, and, and taught a trade. But they didn't like, you know, it wasn't the same thing until it came to the States, you know, and, and not until even like the late 1800s, 1900s, you know, and then you had the orphan trains and mm -hmm. ugh. the orphan trains like that was as bad as slavery in a way because they put those kids on platforms and look at them. I mean, it's not, yeah. but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's it's it is it's it's the equivalent of of us of it's a human auction. Yes, it's the same thing. A slave auction, orphan train. It is. It is the advertisement of, of a human auction. You see it now on Facebook. You see it now. They have these little runway shows where these. Oh my god! Were You're so appalling. And I got this, and I was watching. And it's so weird because I know like everything is listening when I speak, but like on the advertisements I get on like who when I'm watching shows on Hulu. I got this advertisement of these kids who are like, hi, I'm so-and-so, and I'm looking for my forever home. He's like, he's like nine, 10, 11 years old. I'm like, why Why am I watching an, an, an adoption commercial where it's so weird, and, it's, and I hear adoptees say this stuff of like, when the product can talk. <laughs> They don't like when the product talks back. They don't. They don't. They want. They only want the product to talk when the product is reading what the script says. <laughs> exactly. And when like, you're deeply embedded in the fog so, and when you're 17 and you're like, I'll adopt one day instead of having kids. That's what I did. That's what I said. <laughs> so, yeah, because what we're taught, this is. This is an option. This is an option that you have. If you want a kid, you can just adopt. The adopt is, is always going to be there. There's always going to be somebody. They tell you there's always going to be a kid in need, but it's always going to be a drive in the market for people to try to exploit. It's 
it's weird how gross it is and how comfortable people are with it. Right. Exactly. Like, not just like, because the thing, like, the, I wish that the only hate I got was from adopted parents. The majority of hate I get on TikTok and people who report me and threaten me on TikTok are people who are not adopted and are not adopted parents at all. And it's like, why do you even care? This has nothing to do with you. Like this yeah, is, it does. but it's so like it it disrupts their whole myth of like it's like telling people like Santa Claus is real and they freak out and like hey don't say that my kids are listening. Yeah, right. Oh, okay, that's not my problem. <laughs> if you have a problem with me telling the truth, like I don't get that. Like this has nothing to do. You're you're not trying to adopt. You're not adopted. You're just a human being on TikTok. You hear me say adoption, human trafficking, and you're sent into a fury. Yeah. Fury. And instead of like just thinking about it like, oh, shit, let me, oh, man. Yeah. Why is it for profit? But instead of that, it's just like you're sent into this rage. They're bu you're busting the bubble. Yeah. And it's so, and it, it just proved me that it's so thin. That is so thin because it should be a strange, it should, a stranger like me on TikTok saying something that sounds ridiculous to you should just make you like, that guy's crazy. And you just keep scrolling. Mm -hmm. But there's something, it's something that hits you that made you like start commenting and it, it, it must have bothered you a lot. If somebody told me five plus five was 22, I would be like, that's crazy. And I would just keep scrolling. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't mean anything to me. Right. But see, this country in particular, this society has been slammed with adoption propaganda for decades mm -hmm. in the form of books, TV, and, movies. And we're going before then. Remember, the reason why that propaganda was able to grow is because of the, the fuel. And I truly believe this of of slavery that lasted for so long. Mm -hmm. So how many people watch slavery happen, breeding plantations, breeding farms, amongst other things, and were comfortable with it. And separating families. They're trying to say adoption wrong. They would be like, if it was if, like the overall arch of, of America, we would be like, adoption is messed up. And America would be like, dude, I let slavery happen for 400 years. <laughs> yeah. You think I'm sweating your little pushback against adoption? Right. That's what it has been. You've been told that Christopher Columbus was a hero for so long. Yep. You're somebody calling a punk and you get your re reflexes like, no, no, no. You're and yeah, you have to like, and this, and let's be honest, this is not a, also on top of all of that. This is not a country that encourages and embraces deep thinking. No, because, you know, we've got a battle against woke people now. You know, mm -hmm. I'm like, what is the problem with like being awake? Like, being aware. Why, <laughs> what I don't understand how people can push back against like not being ignorant. It's what is that? No, no, I don't know. I feel like it's it's anti-American. It hurts my head. Like it, it, it. You have to. To this country was built on either accepting evil or or not acknowledging it. One or the other, one or the other. And for Desarts pointing it out, it goes against the whole thing. Like it, again, I say, I keep, I like people think like symbols are important. Like I, they mean something. And like our flag, the United States flag has 13 stripes that are for the 13 original colonies, mm -hmm. which means that our flag is a colonizer's flag. Yep. So, but as long as you have a Confederate flag to say that that's the bad one, and you think of this binary term, you're like, well, this must be the good one then. There is no good one. There is no good one. All right? There's there's stop, get get rid of it. There is what should happen is going back to the whole Marvel thing in the first Captain America movie. <laughs> I'm gonna quote a Nazi here, so so bear with me. The Red Skull, the Red Skull tells Captain America, he says, I've seen the future and there are no flags. And I love that. I'm like the future should have no flags right all it does is just place these things in this hierarchy and make people think that they we as a country are not smart enough to realize that we can make up our own minds instead we're like all right we have to choose either the republicans or the democrats 
the Republicans are the bad guys, so the Democrats must be the good guys. Real talk, none of them give a fuck about us. And neither one is that this is, they're both parties of a, of, a, of a white supremacist government that was created by white supremacists. And they've so, flip-flopped their beliefs, too, because right, Democrats were right. like Lincoln. Right. They're the ones this whole started. At one yeah. point, they were the good guys, and they were the bad guys. So it doesn't, it, it's this whole scam, and we are not deep enough thinkers to recognize that it's a scam. Well, it, most of us are. It is, it is so, as you said, it's so frustrating. It's mm-hmm. so frustrating because it's like for like uh, you and I and so many others, it's so plain. Yeah, my fr- my frustration is the part where it's so blatantly like the adoption system is so blatantly corrupt. How is anybody profiting off of a child in crisis? And it's not child. even a child in crisis; it's a mother right. in crisis who needs a little help. Right. Let's just say if it is exactly as whatever the people who are pro adoption say it is mm-hmm. that all birth parents are terrible drug addicts who kick puppies and poison <laughs> cupcakes and whatever it is that we're all awful people who have no rights to be with their children and all of our biological family members are also scum okay let's say that's the case so this the only chance this child has at being a decent human being is to be raised by people who are not family members okay let's ride with that Tell me why you would profit off of that. That would be insane. That would be like, oh my gosh, that person just fell to the ground and is having a heart attack. They need they need chest compression and CPR until the ambulance gets here. Great. For $200, I will give CPR to that person for <laughs> five minutes. Like, whoa, 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 but you know that they're in crisis. I do. I do. And I specialize in helping people in crisis for $200 an hour. Like, I would be an asshole if I said that. Yes. (laughs) But yet, $20 billion. Yeah. Off of creating the crisis. I feel like sometimes, like, I don't like, is the money that you're paying adoption agencies, is that for them creating these these BS stories and doing the coercion because like wh- what are you profiting off of like what like you're a pro you're as you said just not even really children in crisis that is the initial impact is the the mothers and birth parents who are in a tough situation most of them are uh, many of them very young relatively speaking so that point where to get exploited, D, uh, honest birth mom, who is absolutely one of my favorite people on the planet, um, had talked about the developmental stage of just the human brain and how adoption agencies just the coerce. Can you mad like you at 17 years old? And what you can't make decisions at 17. You can't even, they won't even let you vote at 17. You think you can make decisions at 17. You think you've grown, but you're not. <laughs> You, uh, 17, you thought you've been grown for a good five years. Yes, exactly. But, but it's like you're in just the exploitation for them. And then like in my situation, the I feel like the exploitation was not from either one of the birth parents, but the my ex exploiting the racism that is the United States. Yeah. And able to get what she wants and... Like the adoption agency is part of that. It's and it's culpable, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna tear it down. I think I don't know if I've ever said it on anybody else's podcast first. You're the first person to hear me say it. I'm going to. I'm Martin Warriors here. I will before I die. I will see the adoption system in the United States completely abolished or greatly significantly changed. You need to talk to Lisa. <laughs> She's that filmmaker. Because it's, it's where her her aim is to expose it for what it is. I'm looking forward to that. I think, and I feel like it's it the it is the the attention keeps coming, the pushback keeps getting more and more intense, which is why I'm I'm pulling back off of TikTok a little bit just because I want my account to remain intact so that my daughter can hopefully see it one day. Yeah. Um, 
But the more pushback that is coming, I think, is coming because more truth is coming out there. Yeah. People are really getting their stories out there. And it's that whole thing. A lot of these these children who have been adopted keep growing up. Yes. Hopefully, like, I just, hopefully they all keep growing up and a lot of them keep coming out of the fog and just and being aware of things that make sense. So that's what's great that uh, so many adoptees are sharing their stories and it helps so many people. I'm I'm eternally grateful for the stories of adoptees that I've heard on TikTok. They've probably made things hard too at the same time, huh? It ah uh, it does, and but I feel like it helps you more than it it does. Actually, I don't I don't know if it makes things hard. I think yeah. because for me it uh a lot of especially of the of the black or multicultural uh adoptees are kind of like a, a maybe a look of what my daughter might be experiencing mm-hmm. and and how she might be doing and seeing how a wonderful and amazing uh they they are gives me hope yeah that my daughter because I know she's being raised by people who are not telling her the truth and I'm not being completely honest with her because you can't you can't be a good guy and be honest about it you know are they I mean? white yeah adopters yeah that sucks. And it was so, yeah, white. And so there's no way you're saying like, you know, your black father wanted to keep, wanted to keep you, but we wanted you instead. And he was perfectly capable of taking care of you because he wanted you. So they, I don't know what they're telling her, but you, you can't tell her the truth. Um, but knowing that, that hearing like some of the horrific stories that of a lot of uh, transracial adoptees have experienced and they still have grown up to be amazingly wonderful, beautiful, extraordinary people mm-hmm. uh, gives me a lot of uh, hope. Yeah. Make sure you do your DNA. You yeah. know, put it but, in yeah, Ancestry and just mm-hmm. help Yeah, all that stuff, all the data, all the databases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she can find you. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's, that's how I, well, my my mother put my dad down on my birth certificate in Pennsylvania. You did not have to include the father until 1974 on the birth certificate, which is really something because like, when you think about it, like how many dads out there, like, no, Mm -hmm. you know, until they do a DNA or somebody in their family does, you know? And, um, my mother did put my dad down on my birth certificate. So I feel like she did that intentionally so that I would know, you know, because she couldn't see into the future that DNA was going to be a thing, right. you know. However, when I met him, he was pretty sure it wasn't him. Maybe. I don't know. And uh, so several years later, when I did DNA, the closest relative I had was his uncle. And I was like, aha, it was him. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. saw the name come up. And it's very cool. Like, we're very different politically. Um you know, which kind of is a little bit of a barrier, but his daughter, my, my half sister, I just absolutely adore her so much. I'm old enough to be her mom, but I don't care. I still adore her and she's getting her master's in counseling, which is really cool. I know. What are the odds? Yeah. Those, (laughs) the, those nature nurture things are something that I look forward to finding out down the road of. They are strong. It's so strange. Like when I found my birth family, when I met my maternal side, I was working at an ATV slash motorcycle shop and thinking about getting a motorcycle license. They didn't actually have the cones to do it. But thinking about it, I find my birth family. They are all bikers. (laughs) All Hmm. of them, you know, and I was like, that's so strange. And it's so crazy. Like I was like, wow. It's fascinating is what it is, especially when you grow up not having any of it. It's like yeah. extra fascinating. I hope I hope that she finds you one day. I, really I do, do too. I have I sometimes I have my my days where I'm less hopeful, less hopeful. But uh, lately, the hope has been pretty strong of uh, that one day it'll happen. And hopefully sooner than 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 eighteen. 
which is one like one of the thing reasons I, I sometimes I get this thing where I want to make as much noise as I can and be as big as I can increase mm-hmm. so the odds of her seeing me mm-hmm. yeah 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 well are you on Facebook uh yeah I am I don't do it much but yeah yeah I'm on Facebook okay yeah I can um I have a Facebook group it's the same name as the podcast Okay. And um I can uh I'll put you in touch with Lisa. So you oh, guys thank can... you so much. I appreciate that. Cause I think it would I'm sure it would be great for her to have a dad because I don't know if she has any yet. I'd, so... love, I'd love to talk to her. I'd love to talk with her and be on it. Yeah. Yes. It'd be great. It would be especially like that aspect of race and stuff. It's really important mm-hmm. that there's a light shown on that subject for sure. Um Cause it's not right. You know, the, the whole, the whole thing, like just denying a father who wants to raise his child, you know, I don't know. I told my dad said if, if he had been told about me and if my grandmother knew she'd have forced them to get married. So I don't know if that's true or not, but oh, well, it's not what happened. (laughs) You know, it wasn't for me. It was the whole shame factor. Um, Mm -hmm. my grandma was like you know what will the neighbors think you know it was 1970s so it was a different time and not that it excuses it like i'm still like but you gave away your grandchild like i don't understand that right i can't i can't understand that yeah those are things like same thing with like my ex's parents were at the hospital and they met their grandchild and I can remember some people feel saying that they can say what they, cause they were full supportive of her adoption because they were full supportive of the racism. And uh, some people saying like, as soon as they see their grandchild, they'll change. And then and they're like, nope, did not change. Nope, that did not change their mind. And there are some questions that I'm like, only the only the mother of my child can answer those questions for my daughter of like why she did what she did and she deserves those answers and she's the only, the only person who could give them to them so as much as i want to her to be a part of my life um i hope she gets whatever she wants from her mother as well i don't know what she's gonna want from her but whatever that is I hope she gets it because that's what she deserves. But those things of like, how could you do this or why and all that, like we can all say why we think, but only those particular individuals can answer those questions for themselves. And I hope they have, I hope they have their answers ready. I hope they've been thinking about it because at some point, um, uh, this will be my last Marvel reference from the the day. (laughs) The first Doctor Strange movie uh, when Baron Mordo tells Strange, the the bill always comes due. You can try to push it off to the side and whatever and just hide it with this dark dimension all you want. The bill always comes due. Yeah, yeah. It's like karma also, you know, like in a weird... I, I do, I kind of believe in karma. I think things do... I think some things happen for a reason, but not everything. Some things right. is just because people manipulate things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that's a good analogy, you know. And it's like a big question I have: Has your ex found out that you've been vocal on TikTok? Like, I don't know. You know I have. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Um, you haven't gotten blasted from anywhere. <laughs> no, I like don't know. I'm also like I don't live in that. I'm in Philly. I'm in Philadelphia. You know, right outside of Philly now. Uh, oh. I've been here for like last five years now. Um, so not, I'm not really in contact with anybody from from that area as much. So I don't know if she's heard anything. I don't see. I don't know if she if she has a TikTok account or anything like that. Um, but I also, when I started being vocal about it, um, I also was in the mindset of like, I don't care. Um, I, if, because I also, the thing of like, I, I hope, I, I would love for her to tell her side of the story. 
I'm very like if anybody people who want to say like what I'm saying is not true and people haven't said this, I would I would love to hear a side of the story. And <laughs> however her perspective is, I would love to hear it because there's no way you can twist it to make your yourself appear in a better light or like you were scared and all the other things like sure we all are scared or we all are scared or whatever you're about to be a parent your life is is changed forever yeah <laughs> or yes it's scary but it's no i've um i've i don't know if she's seen it or not i, I know a lot of our uh, mutual friends and buddies of mine from back home are aware uh, like of my speak me being vocal about it um but nope like i'm almost at the point like eventually i'm gonna start like creating and and sharing my stories and doing stand-up again and creating theatrical pieces about my story and my mind is very much like i am not changing any names to protect anybody <laughs> yeah I, I am if you have a problem with what i'm saying come see about it maybe but, write a book someday mm-hmm yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That'd be a good thing. Is there anything else you would like to add? Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I think this has been really helpful. I, I hope other people have been able to hear my story and learn something and uh, get anything out of it that they need. Yeah. It's, it's like I said, it's an important story. So I can't wait to um, get it posted. Um, yeah, I, I really appreciate you making time to talk to me and Absolutely. thank you for, for reaching out and making it happen. Yeah. I will let you know when I get it posted. All right. So, all right. Well, you have a good night. You too. And if like, if you hear a thing about this, the, about the summit and I don't like reach out and let me know, because I don't want to miss it. Yeah, I definitely will. Sweet. Um, right. if you follow, um, NAAP national association of adoptees and parents, okay. Um, they put out stuff all the time. Uh, they do a weekly Zoom on Fridays. It's like a happy hour thing where they have different people speaking. Um, and they put on the Untangling Our Roots Summit with the other organization called Right to, right to Know, which is um, donor-conceived people and what they call non-paternal event so like you take a DNA surprise or test surprise Freudian slip, take a DNA test and have a surprise and find out your dad's not your dad kind oh, of situations. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So those two organizations put it on together and it was the first time they ever did it. And it was amazing. Yeah. All right. Well, you have a good night, CJ. You and thank you, thank so, you much so much. All right. I appreciate you. See ya. All right.